Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, aka MDV, and I am joined today by Sal Frazella. Sal is president at First Form, and he's one of the most inspiring, encouraging dudes that you'll ever listen to. I'm ready to run through a wall after this conversation with Sal. Sal is an absolute pleasure. He's one of those guys that just has the personality that you want to be around and you want to do anything for this guy and with this guy. And that's what's making First Form one of the most successful companies in the space right now. Through an incredibly challenging year, these guys are doing amazing things. And one of the most critical parts of that is they're putting their team first and their culture first 100% of the time. If you check out Sal Frizzella's Instagram page, Mr. Frizzella, you'll see how he interacts with his people and how important it is to him. It's not just bullshit. This is real. So let's grab a notebook. Let's grab a chair. Let's listen to Sal. Let's go. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. On the podcast today with me is Mr. Sal Frazella. Sal is president of First Form Supplements Nutrition. He is an amazing individual who I've gotten to know over the past year particularly pretty well. And Sal's got a fantastic story about his own life, his own journey, what brought him to where he is today within First Form. But one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to Sal today is that if you're not following either Sal or First Form, or any of their athletes, you're missing out on the amazing culture that that company is building within their employees, within their own circles, within their influencers. And I, I want to really dive into that today because I think that that's a really valuable thing, not only for coaches to take away, but also athletes out there, anybody else out there who's looking to reinvest in their people. Culture comes first. I know Sal is going to echo that in a lot of things that he says. So Sal, welcome to the intro. Ah, appreciate it, Matty. Thank, thank you for the intro. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the world is weird, right? You know, it was almost a year ago. We were on a little beach in Miami, you know, watching, oh, yeah. watching a real live event with real people. <laughs> and, and we couldn't be further from that right now. Yeah. At Wadapalooza last year was where I met Sal and really hit it off. We were talking and rapping about nutrition and all the things going on in the world of CrossFit and functional training. And you think about how much, just in the, in the one year that we've known each other, how different the world is in, in our aspect of relationship. Like we went from, that was the last big event that I was at, you know, there's however, however many people go to Wadapalooza. It's my first time, you know, I'm walking around and, and then really about after that moment, the world shut down and maybe Wadapalooza was like the, maybe that was like the (laughs) true, true segue. Right. But, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate the intro and, and uh, you know, humbled to be on it. I love, I love doing this just because, you know, the narcissistic side, right? Let's talk about ourselves. But you know, the, the true side is I just love, I love meeting people. I love the story of life. I love the poetic side of like why people, what people, culture, you know, and, and um, really where it's brought us. So I appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you very much. I know you got some really, really cool stuff out there. You've got a lot of great quotes on culture that I've found in doing a little bit of research on this. You've been on another number of other podcasts as well, and you're a really interesting guy. But I, I want to start first start off talking about your personal journey, because you were a phenomenal youth athlete. Uh, you know, you were a tremendous baseball player. You were on a track to go play pro ball. And uh, life kind of threw you a literal curveball. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I. Uh, it's always weird to think like, yeah, because I, you know, I got to tell my guys and girls, I'm like, yeah, I used, you know, I, I, I'm almost like a little bit of Uncle Rico from 
you know, from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, where I could, you know, I could throw a football <laughs> a quarter mile over the hills. Over the mountains. Yeah, over the mountains. <laughs> it, uh, you know, there's a part of life where it's so long ago that I forget that I was ever even decent at something. But, um, you know, I, I was a baseball guy. I was a multi-sport athlete. I think I was, I was from the era where, you know, I wrestled and I played hockey and football and baseball and soccer. We played everything. And um, I just liked baseball. Baseball was something to me that I'm still extremely passionate about. I mm. loved it. I played in college. Um, you know, I had the opportunity, you know, I was drafted. I played after college in the minor leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, what position uh, were you playing, Sal? Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's good. I was an outfielder. Okay. I was, uh, it's very, very similar to like how life transitions for me now in the sense where, um, I was never the most talented. Uh, I was good, but I was not great. You know, I was like the good enough guy, but I, I, something that I was in, that's been ingrained in both my brother and myself and just our, our heritage, our bloodline, if you will, we've always been hard workers, blue collar kids. And so, you know, I, I, you know, hard, we, they always say like hard work beats talent when, when talent doesn't work. And so I, I live by that motto where, um, I understand that showing up and putting it in every single day counts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, baseball for me was, was that, you know, I was, I was good, but I was not great. Um, But I was, you were going to have your hands full with me. And I I think that's still kind of how I like to live. I I tell people all the time, I'm just likely to shake your hand as I am punch you in the mouth, but it uh, (laughs) baseball was baseball was a, it's a chapter of life, man. I, I learned really all my leadership slash culture skills have, have stemmed from baseball in some Mm -hmm. way, shape or form, whether that's, traveling on a bus, you know, you spend 12 hours on a bus with 30 guys for, you know, the better part of 10 years of your life. You, you learn to have pretty thick skin, right? You learn, uh, you learn to gamble. You learn, uh, you learn that we all struggle, you know, that relationships and money are problems because man, when you spend that much time with other human beings, like it's therapy. And I think, you know, we're and what I've learned, you know, on those bus rides and in those locker rooms that if you want to create a true bond, you got to learn to get very, very, uh, very, very vulnerable with people and show a great deal of humility and understanding like I struggle too. And it helped me. It helped. It's, it's helped me in life, you know, because I've, I learned at an early age, like checking down my ego and understand like, Hey man, I got problems just like you got problems and we can talk through these problems and hopefully we can help them, you know, help solve those problems. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's helped me a great deal in developing young men and women more from a trust standpoint. And then having these deep seated relationships where, you know, being a person that they can count on uh, in a time of need. And then the other part of that relationship comes, I believe that relationships are forged through struggle, mm-hmm. uh, through competition, struggle, you know, the wins, the losses, the journey, and, you know, the, so the sport of baseball taught me a lot of things. And, you know, when I had the accident, you can Google it. It's a collision. I had a collision at home plate. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because I had a million hours or, you know, however many hours swings, time traveled in a bus, you know, my parents taking me to and from hitting lessons and playing catch and throwing bullpen. I mean, all these hours that started, you know, when you're eight, nine, 10 years old, and then they turn into a high school passion where you, play a hundred games in the summer and then you go to college and then you play, you know, every single day you got, you know, you have weights and practice and games. And yep. I had one collision at home plate. It changed my entire course of life. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, I, I say it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And people always kind of find that to be odd, but it's, you know, I really wasn't meant to be a baseball player. That's what mm-hmm. I've realized. 
Um, I think I've really found what I, what I love to do um, in a career. And I found, I think what I'm good at in developing young people and, and then on the flip side, taking my struggle in life, which is I've struggled with weight my entire life and trying to help people through fitness, um, you know, tap into a different side of, of how they can develop their pathways and how they can develop themselves. And so, you know, I, I, don't, I was never meant to be a baseball player. It was mm. just part of my journey. It was one of the chapters that, that I owe a great deal of, of, of love and respect to. And, you know, the collision. I, I think we all face these challenges in life. You know, you come to a fork in the road and you can let it determine your path, good or bad. And you can make that the, the, the big highlight chapter of your book of life, or you can choose to, to use it as a segue for what the next chapter is. And I was just fortunate enough to have, you know, people around me, parents, uh, friends who encouraged me not to let that be my, my last chapter, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it, 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 listen, it wasn't fun, you know you know, you, you have this, these dreams and aspirations of being on TV and, you know, at the time, you know, Derek Jeter's the man and, you know, these guys, I think that's to me when, when athletes were still like the, the, the stars, if you will. And, you know, and you have these dreams and aspirations to be that person. And one day, bam, it's gone. Yeah. One of the things that I think, you know, uh, you touched on there, you touched on so much good stuff that I think a lot of people out there can really take away and look at their own life. But, um, you know, you, you talked about finding this sense of um, you, you found your own sense of being in self through this really tough and tragic experience. And you've kind of locked into what you know now you were meant to do and meant to be through that struggle. And tell me a little bit more about that, because I, I think that's going to lead us to some really interesting stuff with how you're working the culture at first form. What 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 are you meant to be, Sal? Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> I, this is my, my meeting yesterday to my team is, you know, life's tough. It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. And, you know, what you have to learn to determine about yourself is like when, when you get knocked down, how are you going to get the fuck back up? Hmm. And struggle is something that we all struggle with. It's something we're all going to face. You're not going to, you're not going to face struggle one time. In fact, you're going to, it's the, it's setting the new bar for how much struggle can you handle and then putting yourself in that position to repeat it. Right. And learning that, you know, I didn't just break my leg and then in the next six months I was at first form and then life became cheery and, you know, and, and, uh, I was riding around on a unicorn. I mean, that's not how it worked, you know, struggle, you know, I, I broke my leg and, you know, here I was this guy who, you know, I was young, pretty good looking, you know, you play professional <laughs> baseball, I didn't have a problem getting, getting the ladies, right? Like I was out in the mix and like, you know, you, you go to the bars, like, you know, it's guy, this guy plays for the Cardinals. It's, good, I used it's the good ball. life. Yeah. It's it was life. great. Yeah. And it ended, you know, and like, and then, you know, it, that's almost 20 years ago for me now. It's a long ass time. So I've had a lot of mm. trials and tribulations in between then and now, and it's taken me a lot more struggle to, to figure out what I was meant to do. And I think, all too often we quit too early. We get knocked down and we don't get back up. And I think, you know, the younger version of myself, or you always say, what would you tell the younger version of yourself? I think the thing that I've learned the most about myself is having that resilience against getting knocked down is one of the best attributes I've learned. And, and it's poetic to the sense where if you look at when I broke my leg at home plate, like 
I didn't stop. I crawled back and I touched home plate. It's kind of like, it's who I am, like to get back up and get back in that fight. And I think all too often we quit. We quit before we, we allow ourselves to blossom into who we're meant to be. And I went from living this badass, you know, kind of bachelor life. Now, mind you, I didn't make shit for money, right? <laughs> you don't make shit for money. I mean, I was making 1200 bucks a month, but you went everywhere. I didn't, I didn't pay for golf. I didn't pay for booze. We never paid for dinner. Like everything was great. And, uh, broke my leg and life changed like I was all of a sudden like now I'm just like a, I'm a regular guy just a dude and I had to go get a job and then I started selling copy machines you know selling fax machines and copy machines okay well I mean I went from like this cool badass lifestyle to wearing a suit selling copiers you know and then <laughs> I would go to the bar you know you'd have to like you know transition right you'd be like all right all right well what do you do and you, nobody liked you didn't like brag about being a copier salesman. <laughs> cool about that. It's like working for Dunder Mifflin. Yeah, like I was that guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. I had a gray pinstripe suit on, you know, and I was at the corner of the bar. And uh, what do you do? I'm a technology specialist. I didn't know shit about technology, right? And so, <laughs> you know, that part of life was very humbling for me because I, you know, where my ego was very much who I thought I was as a younger age. I had to really get real with who I was going to be. And I had to develop that sense of humility. Uh, and it took me a long time, man. It took me a long time to understand how much humility you have to express in life and in, in, in order to truly figure out who you are. And, you know, I, I had a, so I, I did, okay, I sold some copiers and then I moved into medical sales and, uh, you know, I worked for Johnson & Johnson, one mm -hmm. of the best companies I believe in the world. And, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, I had a pretty good four or five year run there. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity I mean, I, I had success just because, you know, I figured out I had to gift a gab and I could, you know, I understand how to sell. And that was yeah, kind of like, you're a charismatic guy. Yeah. And I, but I didn't love what I did. Mm. You know, I made a lot of money. I mean, I, you know, when I say a lot of money, it's a very relative term, but I was, you know, 25, 26 years old, you know, and I had quote unquote life by the balls, you know, I was making, you know, mid six figure income, you have a car, you got, you know, you know, it, it seemed, it seemed from the outside that I had life kind of figured out. I was just in the cruise control lane and I was going to work my way up the corporate ladder, but I didn't love what I did. Mm. You know, like I went to work every day and I, I mean, I was good at it kind of, but I didn't like, it wasn't me. Like I wasn't passionate about like, this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. And I couldn't put that together. And, and although from the outside, and I think this is a, a learning lesson I'd like to share, you know, we, we often want to fulfill everybody else's dreams, but we have a very tough time figuring out what our dreams are. Like, what do we want to be? What are you meant to be? And specifically in the fitness realm, like a lot of people struggle with this transition because whether you're going to open a CrossFit box or become a CrossFit coach, you know, you could be exiting your, you know, your, your six figure career to go be a CrossFit coach and all your friends are going to be like, well, why the fuck would you do that? Oh yeah. That's crazy. Like, why would you do that? And it's because they don't understand that passion, that drive, that burn, like that love that you have and, and that camaraderie of helping somebody challenge themselves through fitness. They don't understand that, that transition. And so to ask one of your friends or family to understand that transition for you through your eyeballs, they can't see that transition and they don't understand that transition. They don't understand that, that passion, that love, that that desire that you get through the sport of fitness or through mm -hmm. helping somebody change their life, whether it's physically uh, or emotionally. Right. And so, 
you know, when I decided to leave, you know, my brother and had already had, a, I, sorry to interrupt yourself. Can I ask you a question really quickly? Cause I want to, I, I want your opinion on this. So when you're talking about passion, obviously I'm a huge believer in this. I walked away from a, a law career chasing down the fitness thing for about like 12 years now, but what do you, what is your advice to somebody who's looking at this and going, how do I take passion and turn it into something that I can live a kind of life that I am comfortable with? I can support my family. I can make a little bit of money. How do you marry those two things? What, what's your advice there? I think you got to throw out the idea that there's this romantic thing that just because you love it, you're going to get rich at it, right? I think we all think that like, oh, well, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That's bullshit. I'm here to tell you that. If anything, you'll work twice as hard and you'll sacrifice twice as much for it because you're so passionate about it because you love it. And I think that's the transition that you have to understand that hmm. it's still going to take a lot of work. It's, I mean, I, I've worked and, and God bless my wife because I have worked. It's funny because, you know, guys are like, oh, I work 50 hours a week. I'm like, bro, 50, 50 hours a week, 50 hours. That's like, a, that's by Wednesday, right? Like I'm totally ingrained and engulfed in what I do because I love doing it. I'm so passionate about it that sacrificing everything else in my life is it's kind of like, it's, it's a, it's an easy exchange for me. You know, I don't play softball with my friends anymore. I don't play hockey with my friends anymore. I don't play golf with my friends anymore. I don't go to happy hour on Thursday night. I don't do those things because my belief in what we do here at, at HQ and my belief in what I, what I'm good at or what I think I'm great at is so much more rewarding to me because I love it and because I'm passionate about it, that these sacrifices that I had to make to get here, they're not really sacrifices to me. Hmm. And I think people struggle with that because they, there's this romantic effect that says like, well, if I love doing it, then I can just go do it and it's going to be easy. No, it's still going to be difficult. It's just the easy part is, is it's, it's easier to learn to ignore these aspects of life that you once thought were important or they're important to these people and you exchange them for things that are important to you. And that's tough, man, because when you're passionate about something, but your mom and dad are not passionate about something, they're going to try to give you advice that's going to give you what they think is best for you. Be pushing the resistance the whole time. And it makes it, it makes it twice as hard because these are the people that you're taught to love. And these are the people that are, have done right by you maybe your whole entire life. And sometimes some people don't have that relationship with their parents, but it could be your best friend. It could be your boyfriend or girlfriend. These people that are close to you, it's really difficult for them to understand like what you want to do. And then mm. they don't support you and your journey. It makes it really hard on you because now you're facing a different headwind being in business or starting something you from scratch. It's, it, fuck, it's hard enough on its own to face the headwind of all the emotional stress that you're going to have from your friends and family. It's twice as difficult, you know, because now these people who are supposed to support your journey, they don't, and it's not because they don't love you. It's because they don't understand that passion that drives you. And I tell people all the time, like, figure out what you love to do and just go do that. And if you can unequivocally be the best at it, the money will come. So many people try to focus on, well, if I just love what I do, money doesn't matter. And I'm here to tell you, money does matter. Like, you have to focus on being the very best at whatever it is that you want to do and just execute. Yeah. And you can, there's examples of this all over the world. It's just, we choose to ignore them because, you know, the heart, there's a, there's a work aspect that uh, uh, sacrifice slash it's going to be really fucking hard to still win that we kind of excuse ourselves from because the outlying circumstances are different. Like if you put the best insert, whatever you want here, the best bricklayer, the guy makes a lot of money. He's successful at it. 
He charges what he wants. He usually comes to work and leaves when he wants, but he, I mean, he didn't just get there overnight, right? The best NASCAR driver, they make the most money. The best CrossFit gym owner, they're usually financially successful. The best, whatever you want to put into this category, if they're the best at it, they can dictate a lot of the terms. And they're the best at it because that passion, that drive, that love for what it is that they do supersedes everything else from a sacrifice standpoint. And they've learned to put themselves in that position crossed with hard work. Yeah, I love that. Just because it's your passion does not mean that you're not going to have to outwork everybody else in order to be successful. You have to. That, that is the prerequisite is going to be your work ethic. The passion on top of that is going to ignite a flame that nobody's going to be able to extinguish. And that, that I think is really powerful. You see this a, a ton in your, in your particular space, right? The All the time. I think that's the, the number one. When you see failure in a CrossFit box per se, it's what we just talked about. Like it is, they love, they love CrossFit, but just because they love it doesn't mean they're going to be good at being a box owner or good at helping other people love it or create an environment for other people to fall in love with it, right? There, there's so many aspects to building a culture and community that fall way outside of just love that you have to address those situations because your competition's probably going to be addressing them, right? And so if we're going to go battle after the same customer, like we have to figure out what that is. For sure, for sure. Well, tell us how... You're at this point in your life where you're having a lot of success with Johnson and Johnson. You're making great money. A lot of people probably wouldn't walk away from that. How, how did you get into first form? It was a company that was started by your brother, Andy, correct? Yeah. So, uh, Andrew, so my brother, uh, and his business partner, Chris, who's essentially like my other brother, um, to give you an idea, like we all, we were all in high school at the same time. Mm-hmm. We were all in the same backfield in football. So like I was the quarterback, Andrew was a fullback, Chris was a tailback. So like when I tell you we've been through struggle together, we've been struggling together for a long time. But uh, my brother and Chris have uh, a set of retail stores, retail nutritional stores, similar to like, excuse me, a GNC. Mm -hmm. And at the time they had seven or eight retail stores and they were doing well. And the internet had kind of transitioned into the sports nutrition space. You see bodybuilding.com and some of these other, you know, a one supplements and some of these other guys coming up. Well, supplements became about whatever you could buy the cheapest somehow in, in our little realm, people equivalented cheap with the best and cheap with that's what I should buy. And that's what everybody started marketing their supplementation to. Well, consequently the brand started building cheaper supplements to compete on price. And my brother has a great unequivocal um, sense of he will not budge when it comes to quality. It's just who he is. If there's an A and a B and, and, and B is a more expensive option, but it's clearly and, and without doubt a better choice, he's going to choose B every time. Mm-hmm. And his mindset was to, in order to help his customers lose weight and change their life, like we should be taking the best approach, not the cheapest approach, not the easiest approach. What is the best approach? And he wanted to build a supplement line that was built off of the best, the best in whenever, whenever first form came across that category, it was, everything was compared to first form from being the best. And so he had this dream and aspiration that we were going to take first form and, and make it the premium quality supplementation can handle the fact that people say it's too expensive. No problem. That's not, you can't please all customers and that's okay. But when you talk about the best 
the best isn't just what's in the powder. The best is everything that's associated with that transaction, the interaction. How does the company interact with you? How does the company handle problems? How does the company solve your problems in, in helping you change your life? So the best is not just a, a, an inclusive one single item. The best is an, an, an all-inclusive environment. And, you know, Aaron and Chris and I have been around together for a long time. And so, you know, we had the opportunity where my brother basically said, hey, man, like, you know, we want to take first form and we want to start taking it national. Um, basically, it's either going to be you or I'm going to go find somebody to, to do it with me. And, you know, at the time, you got to think like 27, 28, 29, somewhere in that ballpark. You know, I was, you know, I'm not saying this to be a douchebag. I was making like three, four hundred thousand dollars, you know, I was doing well, right? Like, yeah, life great. Was good. and I was like, man, all right, well, I think we can do this, right? And everybody in my life thought I was nuts, and uh, including my old boss at JJ. And I love the guy, I still talk to him. Mm-hmm. I told him one time, I said, I'm gonna quit, and, and I just won rep of the year, uh, like three months prior. And he's like, what do you mean you're going to quit? And I'm like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go to work <laughs> with my brother. And he's like, are you going through like a midlife crisis early? And I was like, no, man. Like, I, I listen, I'm young. I got to chase this thing one time. And I've always loved fitness, you know, uh, being in business. Everybody said you shouldn't go in business with my brother, you know, in that sense, just because, you know, you never mix, you know, uh, family and business. And family, yep. Yeah. And, and I think Andrew and I have a really unique relationship where we understand like I know where he's fucking great and he knows where I'm great. And we stay out of that lane for each other and just let it, let, let me go do my thing. And I let him go do his thing. And, and we work well together. And listen, that's come with a lot of trials and tribulations in and of itself. Right. Because ego gets in the way you get some type type a people in the room, but uh, we in, in June, well, yeah, in June of, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, I don't even know the year call it 2010. Um, we started first form. Now first form had already existed. It had a couple protein powders and a multivitamin. So it was like four or five SKUs. But now we have, I think in just supplementation, including flavors, like 140 something SKUs. And then, you know, you got apparel and all, you know, we have an app, we have an entire inclusive environment. You know, you're talking, you know, from traveling around the country, I had a 2009 Nissan Maxima that put 62,000 miles on the first year. Uh, I've been in every shithole town you've ever imagined. <laughs> slept in every Motel Six. Hate the dudes. Yeah. Oh, I've met a lot of friends, man. I've worked out. Of, it was funny because I did CrossFit before CrossFit was cool. That's what I tell all my all my uh, kids here. You know, I've worked out in more boxes across the country. You know, just you know, popping in, doing a drop in, getting a, buying a t shirt. You know, doing a workout. In in my era, like when I was selling supplements, like call it 2010, like you could pay the the drop in fee, which was like 20 bucks, or you could buy a t shirt. It's like 25 bucks. So I bought, I had more t-shirts from CrossFit boxes across the country than any person on planet earth. I mean, I had, it'd probably be cool if I, you know, I've since donated them all, but you know, if I'd have collected them and kept them, I bet you I got, you know, hundred, 150 box drop-in shirts across the country, but it's, uh, it's been fun, man. And the reason that it's been fun is because it's been challenging. It's something that I love to do. It's something that I enjoy doing. And, no matter what sacrifice I have to, that has to be made, you know, getting out, getting a sweat in with somebody that, you know, is just starting their journey. You know, somebody who's hundred pounds overweight, 50 pounds overweight, somebody who's wants to be in better shape for their wedding. Somebody who wants to be a better husband, father, brother, sister, like 
dude, I can fuck with that and I can fuck with that all day long. And I don't care if it's Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday night, Monday morning, it doesn't matter. I love that because my passion to be able to help somebody make that transition. If I'm going to live the life that I want to live, which is, you know, a life about developing people and making people the focus, not things. Mm. When I die, I tell people all the time, like the line needs to be from here to China, man. Like as long as you can be, because I want that community that we've been able to create and my team here at first form and, and the culture that we have with the, my transformation or just in general, like stories live, you know, and, and, you need people to tell those stories. And if I can change as many lives as physically possible in between now and whenever that time comes, I got to punch my clock. My goal is to raise a community and develop a community so well that that community will take care of my kids. And I, that's my mission. That's, and I know a lot of people, my brother always gets mad at me because I talk about dying. He's like, you've got to stop talking about that shit. It's going to happen. And, but I, I, you know, it's something to me that it's not that I'm okay with it. Like I don't want to die. Mm. It's that, if you treat every day as, a, as if it's a gift and you do the best that you can to help as many people as you can, everything seems to work out. And it, it's, it's always worked out for me, but it's because I love what I do. I love more importantly, who I do it with. And I love the, the fact that I have the opportunity to be able to help people change their lives every single day of my life. And well, that's a really, um, that, sorry to interrupt. That's a really, st- I mean, stoicism, stoic philosophy talks a lot yeah. about that, about how to think about your, your existence, your mortality, how to think about death, how to think about living your life. And I, I, I big into that kind of stuff. I try to reflect on that. I'm not always as good as you in remembering that in the day to day. And you guys have been very successful with first form and you have really lived up to that mission of being the best. And one of the things that I want, I know you're a busy guy and we we're kind of getting a little short on time here, but one of the things I wanted to make sure that we touched on was this idea of culture within first form, because when I follow you and I watch your social media channels and I watch the first form channels, the culture just comes through in spades, man. I mean, you guys are doing such a great job of highlighting the people, highlighting the, the way of life, highlighting every all the way down to the fucking colors of everything within your headquarters. Talk to me about the culture at first form. The culture wins all always, 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 always. And you know, I, you know, we have an unbelievable facility here at First Form, 200,000 square feet. It's, you know, you know, we've had some top athletes come through and, you know, they compare it to Nike and Oakley. And, and it's, it's a very humbling statement, right, to hear that. But the truth of the matter is, is like in our old facility, it didn't look like Nike and it didn't look like Oakley. Mm. And, you know, it looked very much like a warehouse with an office space. And that culture, that energy that you feel when you walk into this new place is a sense of pride. It's a sense of work ethic, commitment, you know, people who of sacrifice, you know, I have my, my team, my, my kid, I call them my kids. So my kids, cause I treat, and, and my guys know this, my guys and girls know this, the ones who are closest to me, cause you can't have this bond with all of your employees, but the ones who are, who've, who've been here say five years or longer, the ones who have really seen the struggle and the growth and the commitment, I would do anything for those kids just like I would my own. I mean, I, I'm, and I have, I've lent them money. They spent the night at my house. I've had to co-sign on their houses, cars. I mean, I've done everything you would do for one of your children. I've done for those, those people. And it, and it's, there's, there's a pride aspect. I've only, I've lost two employees in the, in the last 24 months, two 
in, in this side of the, of the house, we our warehouse employees, we have a little more turnover, but our actual corporate side, which got about 95 guys and girls, I've only lost two. And the reason that is, is because of culture. And so many people talk about employee turnover and how do you do this and how do you get them to do that? And when they believe, like when they believe that there's an opportunity for them to create the life that they want and you show them, you, you have to show them that you're willing to sacrifice and commit and go through the pain and the struggle right next to them. That culture is a living, breathing aspect of your organization. And I think all too often, you know, success gets in the way, ego gets in the way um, of I'm boss, your worker, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And there's not a job in this building that you would take myself or any of us, you know, uh, at the core, kind of the core. If I got to clean a bathroom, I'll clean a bathroom. If I got to sleep before, I'll sleep before. If I got to grab a mop and mop the gym, I mop the gym. And I do it by design on purpose on the regular because one, it helps me understand like, I'm not too good for any job in this building. If it's serving our customers or serving our employees, then guess what? My name, my name could be signed up just to do it as well. You know, if I got to sweep the warehouse floor, then that's, then that's what needs to be done. Then I go do it. If I got to pack a box, that's what we got to do. And that culture, that culture of showing humility of understanding, like, no, nobody's too big. Your last name's for seller. That's this means that that job's more important. Um, that, there's an opportunity and a vision for their dreams, their lives inside, inside this building that we can help them build a life of service that they want and a career built on service, just like mine, just like my brothers, just like anybody in our organization. Um, you know, we are a service-based organization where we're here to serve our customers and make their lives better. And anything that we can do in order to achieve that, um, you know, I, I have that same mindset towards our employees. You know, anything that I can do from a personal standpoint to help make their lives better. If I got to help them move, if I, if they need help, like I just had this happen. Uh, two of our employees were closing on a house. They asked me to come out and look at the house for their final inspection walkthrough. They didn't ask their parents. They asked me. Right. Mm. And that comes from a sense of trust and bond and loyalty sure. and commitment. It's, and you think about your employees that, that your job is to make sure that, you take care of them. And I think all too often, like specifically in today's world, you know, we treat them as transactional, like an employee is just a, a person, a tool to get a job done. And when you look at the intention behind, like, what is that person to you? And if you start treating your employees as if you're, they're, they're the front line, they, they are the difference of how successful you are or how successful you're not going to be. And you treat them that way, you'd be surprised what they do for you back. And you'd be surprised the level of commitment that they can give to you to you in return. And I think all too often, you know, we look at somebody take the CrossFit community. It's like, Oh, well, I just hired a front desk girl. Okay. Well, how is she going to impact your customers? Because that's the person that greets your customers. That's the person that, that makes sure the gym's clean. That's the person that it's the first person they see when they get there. It's the last person they see when they leave. Did you just hire a front desk girl? Or are you hiring somebody who's an asset to the organization? Are you treating her that same way? Are you giving her the opportunity the tools, maybe she wants to be a CrossFit coach. Maybe she wants to be a CrossFit box owner. Maybe she wants to be your competition. Your goal, and all too often we want to block that away, your goal should be able to do such a great job with that person that they are your competition. You've bred some these skills that teaches them through life because now inherently you're their Yoda. You yeah. know, like they still listen to you for that advice. They still come to you and think of you as their person. But you see this a lot in the CrossFit community too where the coaches will go out and start their own box because there's a, there's a, 
there's a some natural tension. Yeah. As a tension there. I don't like the way he's doing it. It's usually ego that gets out in front of those. For skis, sure. right? And listen, man, like I, I, all of our company, all of our guys and girls here at first form. Um, and I know I'm ranting kind of off stage and, and keep going. It's good. Yeah, I've learned that I have to let them be entrepreneurs inside this space, you know, and our people are paid when the business goes up. So does their pay. The business goes down, so does their pay. If the business is neutral, so is their pay. And we've developed a culture of winning. And when we all are winning, we all are winning. When we all are losing, we're all losing. And that team environment <clears throat> forces us to, to, to hold each other accountable and to hold the standard that no job's too big or too small because mm. all of our incomes depend upon our ability to be successful in servicing that customer, no matter what means necessary. And that opportunity that we, you know, provide for our employees is to be a business owner inside this environment that typically would be just be treated as a salesperson or yeah. as an employee. But it's like, Hey man, like when, if sales are going up, so is your paycheck. That means we got to hold each other accountable through that ride. It's not me versus you. It's us versus them. And that team, this goes back to the early days of the locker room, that team aspect, that team, we all win together, we all lose together is a, is a living, breathing thing that exists inside this place. So when a guest comes in, everybody knows that that guest is, is just as important as if it's your guest or somebody else's guest. So they get treated the same, you know, like, so there's a continuity that comes through our customer environment where... Mm. I don't care if you order $5,000, $500 or $5, you're still a customer and you're still going to get the same level of treatment, respect and understanding. And we're, that commitment to one another is, is, is huge when you talk about breeding, breeding long-term culture and opportunity for your employees. Yeah. I, I want to ask you something and there was so much good stuff in there, Sal. And I, I, I really admire how you guys look at not only the culture at first form, but the, the way that you run your business, the way that you treat your people and the way that you inspire them to be great. You posted something last night and I screenshotted it on my phone because I thought that this was going to be really great for this conversation. I want to ask you really quickly. You yeah. posted, in order to commit to the team and be the best teammate you could possibly be, you must first commit to yourself. Yep. What does that mean? What does is, what is only you know the truth mean in that? What does that mean, committing to yourself? So I, I love... So we do a Monday morning meeting here every Monday. It's all staff. And I, I think it's what I'm best at, right? I love teaching life and I'm young. So I don't like that. My ego, like, what do you know about life? I really don't know shit. How old are you, Sal? Sorry. I'm, I'll be 40 in April. Okay. But I don't, but I, I've been very fortunate. I've led a really cool journey at 40. Like it's like to think of all the shit that I've done and I'm only 40. It's really actually like, man, it, it, I'm very blessed. And I think, you know, helping, if I'm true to my mission, which is helping Lee, I want to leave this world a better place. And I found it. And I want to help people change themselves. And I always tell people, my job is to change you physically, financially, and spiritually. That's my job. And if one of those three aspects of life comes into play, I, I want to make sure that I'm the best resource that I can physically possibly be for these people. And that goes for my staff, that goes for our customers that goes for people on social media. And I try to, I try to do the very best that I can in making sure that I develop that, those skill sets to make that possible. And 
I talked on Monday about com- before you commit to the team, you got to commit to yourself. Mm. And I always use the mirror as a tool because I think, you know, for me, we can, we're very good. We, we sell ourselves very well, right? Cause we ration, we can, we rationalize with our weakness. And so we, we accept that as being okay. When in reality, like the game of life, like life doesn't give a shit. Life just, life is life. It's going to be tough. And my brother uses the analogy of a thousand days, a thousand days. Can you commit for a thousand days? Like if you can commit for 1000 days, what would your life look like? And my brother's very good at macro level teaching. And I would say I'm very good at micro level teaching. Like, all right, let's break down a thousand days and let's look, let's look and see how this thing transitions for you. And, you know, I think about that commitment to self, like, what are you willing to do for yourself? Like, this is your life. Like my life's going to speak my life story. Like my life speaks for itself as it is now. Like I don't have to I don't have to introduce myself when I walk in a building. Like everybody knows who I am. They know where I live. They know everything about me. Right. In a sense, like, what are you going to do for yours? Like, are you going to stand up to your parents and let them chase your own dreams? Are you giving it everything you got in the, in the diet aspect? Like, are you able to help if your mom walked in the door, can you effectively explain to her how to lose 25 pounds? If that could help her, if your best friend's struggling with sobriety or if he's struggling with, um, you know, maybe his relationship with his wife or girlfriend or being a dad, like, are you, are you humble enough to be able to get on their level and, and help them through that process? And, you know, from a financial standpoint, like, have you committed to your own financial disciplines to be able to live the life that you want to live? And have you made that commitment to yourself so that when somebody else seeks that help, because I understand people struggle in three areas, they struggle with, with personal uh, mm-hmm. reflection, like what they look like even if somebody looks, you know, like they have abs or whatever, like there's a, there's a physical struggle we all have. There's an emotional struggle. Like you're going to go through relationships, ups and downs and woes. And I mean, we're going to battle that through life. Like, are you able to express those concerns and help other people go through them? And financially, like financial discipline is tough for everyone. And but unless you're expressing it yourself and you've gone through that journey yourself, how are you going to help somebody else go through it? And I always believe in, in one of our core values here is lead by example. And those three things for me have been the most successful tools that I have used my physical change of the ability of being able to help somebody, my spiritual change. Like, dude, I've, I've fucked relationships up more than any fucking person you could possibly see on planet earth, but I learned from them. And it, mm-hmm. it has allowed me to have a great marriage and a great, you know, a, a, a relationship with my wife. That's, that's very true and honest. And from a financial standpoint, like I understand what it's like to have $500 in my bank account, but I also understand the financial discipline to be completely debt free by 40. And it's not because of anything to do with, you know, the income that I make right now, it's the financial discipline that I started to learn at 23, 24, 25. And I compounded that over 15 or 20 years. And so I can help these young men and women get through that financial struggle. So I can help them physically. I can help them change. I can help them spiritually when they struggle, like I can be a resource for them. And I can help them financially express and learn those disciplines. And when I talk about commitment to self, like only, you know, if you're doing the work or not, like I can't measure that for you. I cannot measure that for you. And before you become an asset to my team, before you, we have a Tuesday meeting. It's, we call it our billionaire meeting. And like those, those, those guys and girls in that room, like they're bad motherfuckers. Like if they started a business, like 
you're going to have your hands full because I built them. Like I know, them, and I've watched them struggle and I've helped them struggle. And I know where the weaknesses are and I've watched them conquer them and I've watched them face that adversity. And so you start thinking about where do you have these conversations? And for me, it's the mirror. I always have like my weakest moments. Like, like if I cheat on my diet or, you know, if I'm like, I, I, I struggle with alcohol. It's just something that I personally mm. struggle with because I like to drink beer. Now, fortunately, I don't struggle with alcohol in the sense where, you know, I'm fall down, drunk, drinking and driving four or five DWS. That's yeah. not, that's not my struggle. It's, I don't like sweets. I like drinking beer with my buddies. It's one of the things that I struggle with. So if I'm really committed to a different level, like I have to sacrifice alcohol. It's something that I have to do. Well, when I look in that mirror, I got to have that conversation with my own eyeballs. And if I'm committed to being the best version of myself and I'm committed to making the every amount of sacrifice that I possibly can, that's a non-negotiable thing. And I can only, nobody knows that I go home. Nobody else will know. That's right. Nobody. So like for me to justify it to myself, it's like, Hey, nobody else knows. It doesn't hurt anybody, but it hurts me. Yeah. Me. And if I'm being the best version of me and I'm going to commit to the team, that means I got to be really fucking honest with myself in the mirror, the what person that stares back at you is the only person in your life that's going to know the truth, the real truth. You know, like the, the shit that you don't want to talk about, you got to talk about with yourself, you know? And, and when you start thinking about, when you say, Oh, Hey man, I commit to this team. Okay. What are you committing? Like, what are you committing? Let's get on, let's get on the same level here because if you want to have loyalty within a group, loyalty within a culture, I've learned that you have to express these things. We have to, we, we dude, like we, you would almost think we're like medieval in some ass, like the brotherhood that lies in here, sisterhood that lies. In, it's real, man. Like I, they know, like I'll fucking tell them like, Hey man, like we're going to go, like this is what we're going to go for. And we're all going to go. We're all, it means we all got to sign a contract and we're all going to roll. And I just asked my team, I said, you know, in 2020, a lot of people, negative or positive. That's how people look at it. And I look at 2020 as one of the best years that I've ever had in my entire life. That's a the great outlook. Being, yeah. The reason being, we, we went through a lot of struggle. We went through a lot of struggle. I mean, a fucking lot. Like everybody else in the whole world, shit got flipped on its head. We got knocked down. We got kicked in the face. We got kicked in the back, shot in the face. Everything you could possibly happen. We opened this new facility. We couldn't use it. We had production facilities get shot. We had plastic shortage. I, everything that could possibly get sprinkled in as a shitstorm did. And just like we talked about getting knocked down, like we got the fuck back up. And we didn't lose an employee. We didn't miss a paycheck. Andrew, Chris, and I committed to our employees, like you will not miss a paycheck. I don't care if we don't get paid for six months or, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we are in this together. We're going to fight. And when I think it gives me chills, like just saying it. Yeah. When I look too. at, I got 42 people more on payroll right now on this side of the house, 80, 80 people total. I, we have 80 more careers here at first form in the end of 2020 than we did at the end of 2019 through all that bullshit and all that adversity and everything that could possibly go wrong. We didn't, you know, you know, duck and dive and dodge our way through it. We went right at it head on and our core group of people here, they, they dude, they hunkered down. They took the bullets, they got after it, and we put one foot in front of the other, and we kept walking and kept moving and kept yeah. instead of rolling over and saying, "Well, fuck it, it's 2020," dude, we went head on at that motherfucker, and it makes me extremely proud. And I told those, you know, everybody, I made everybody stand up, you know, whoever's been here last year, 2021's our year. That's what I told them. 
Like, are you willing to commit to yourself? Cause it's not about committing to me. It's about committing to the person that looks back at you in the mirror. And it, if you can, if you can look back and commit to that person, what I've learned about life is if you can truly commit to yourself, the rest of this shit takes care of itself because a good leader and I have these people in our organization. A good leader is going to recognize somebody who's willing to make that sacrifice for themselves and understand that they're an asset to the team. And that message last night was, it was for the general public, but it was for my guys and girls here. They know hmm. like, Hey man, tonight. Cause I asked them when you have that conversation tonight, before you go to bed, you're brushing teeth and you look yourself in the eyeballs. We all do it. When you do something wrong, you talk to yourself. When you do something right, you talk to yourself. And I'm going to ask you tonight, look, look in the mirror. If you're willing to make that sacrifice to yourself, I promise you this, this company will repay that tenfold. You got to give it time. You got to let, you got to let it manifest itself, but you got to go after it. And I can't, I can't be that person that judges you day in and day out. You got to learn to judge yourself. You got to be accountable to you. And I told him it's your life. It's not my life. I'm already accountable to my life. Like you got to go. And so I, I believe and I, and I told him, I said, man, not every, not every company, and I, I, we take a great deal of pride in this. This is not like some bullshit. This is like who we are. Not every company cares about their employees like we do. It's just true. Like, I, I love these guys and girls. I love them. But if you want me to love you more, commit to yourself and then commit to this place. Because there aren't a lot of companies who, you know, and I'm not doing this to this is not, I, I know it comes off almost douchebaggy, and I don't mean it to be this way. No, no, no. Keep going. This is just honest. Yeah, I, I mean, like, we sat down in a room, man. When they said, hey, we're shutting everything down. Andrew, Chris, and I sat down in a room, looked at each other, said, hey, listen. All right, six months. We're going to go six months, no pay. We're going to, every single guy and girl in the warehouse, we're, they're going to take the last two months pay. We're going to average it out, and they're going to get paid that every two weeks, hell or high water. Like, we can go six months on, and we can fucking roll this thing through. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll commit for that. And we had to run these ghost shifts where, you know, we were just 10 people at a time and we were running them in different warehouses and we were doing everything we could. Now you got to understand, I got 80 people packing boxes. So to run 10 people to pack boxes at a time over the course of this, mm. was it was fucking hard. Yeah. Especially when, you know, sales come down, payroll's still the same. These people aren't really working. They're, they're sitting, you know, they're sitting at home and we're committed to, to paying them. And I told them, I said, if I'm, if we're committed to you at that level, I ask you this, are you committed to yourself at that level? Like, are you willing to fucking get after it for six months, six months, no pay, six months. You just come in here every motherfucking day because it's what you love to do. And you believe in the company. Can you do that? And I can't ask that question unless I'm willing to do it myself. And I've already done that. And that's something that like, I take a great deal of pride in. It's like, it wasn't a matter of like, if you could do it, it was a matter of like, Hey motherfucker, this is what we're doing. And let's go. Yeah. And to watch our team respond 2020. Yeah. Was it fucked up? Yeah. It was terrible. Like, dude, 2020. I mean, like it was not a good year for our country. It's not a good year for, I mean, there's a, so many negatives that come out of it, but I tried to find the positive in that situation. And the positive is, is as a team, we were better right now than we were a year ago. And if we can take the same discipline and express the same attitude and we can attack 2021 the same way with the same level and commitment to ourselves, we'll fucking win and we'll win big. And that was my challenge to my guys and girls. And I love that. And I love that it started with you and you didn't put it on anybody else before you put it on yourself. And I think that that's one of the most critical things in leadership in culture in team building and success is that you look right in the mirror and you put it all on yourself. You got to walk the walk 
before you ask anybody else to walk it for you. And, and that's like, you know, when I talk about Andrew, Chris and I, cause it's not just me, right. There's, there's actually, and Jason, do we have an unsung hero here? Um, and, but there's 10 of us, there's 10 of a 10 or 12 of us at the core where it's mm-hmm. like, we have these gut wrenching reality talks, but Andrew, Chris and I have been in this battle together for a long time. You know, it goes back to, you know, high school football, right? Like we've already, I know what those guys are made of. They know what I'm made of. And I, when we look each other in that face and like, this, we're going to get dirty. This is what's going to happen. And like, I already know what they're made of, you know, because we've watched it in each other and been a part of each other for so long. So like, that's why I tell people, like, if we tell you we're going to come take your lunch money, we're going to come get it. <laughs> we're taking it. We're taking that lunch money. Yeah, we're taking that lunch. So <laughs> that, that's that competitive spirit in us. Like, I love that. I, I dude, winning fixes a lot of shit and understanding yeah. that adversity is part of winning and life is going to be tough to tie this kind of all back in. Like the chapter and somebody who's listening right now, like 2020 could have been the worst year of your life. All right, let's find the positives. You're still here. You're still listening to this podcast. You're still trying to get better. All right. How are we going to make 2021 better for you? Okay. We got to commit to yourself. Like, dude, you got to commit to diet. You got to commit to fitness. You got to commit to, are you reading 10 pages a day? That's something we have here at first one. Like we, we have a library, like read 10 pages a day not reading is the same as not having the ability to read. Like just cause you, I mean, so what's the point? If you don't use the tool, don't expect, expect, expect to get better. And, you know, use 2021 to make the best fucking story or chapter for your life. And, Hell yeah. and you know, and, and it's hard, man, when shit's not going your way, it's fucking hard. It's hard, but life's hard. That's what you learn. And as you get through life and as you continue to, to go down chapters of life, you learn that those hard years make the, the good years taste a little better. You know, that difficult struggle of 2020 is going to make and market a loss, market whatever you want. But it, without you, you, you don't understand how to celebrate a win without, without celebrating or, or, or suffering a loss. Yeah. Can't have the highs without some of those lows in there for sure. There's, there's, there's the dichotomy there. Like there's no, there's no emotional, uh, appeal to the win if you've never understand what the distress of a loss is like it's just it's part of the deal yeah so we, my brother and i talk about do you love winning more or hate losing more my brother's a hate losing guy he hates to fucking lose i love to win like that's my and people say oh well you should hate to lose i'm like well i, I don't like losing i just don't think enough people love the taste of that <laughs> you know so yeah that's fun man i mean listen life's a cool journey and i think you know if as a listener, like, you know, cause you know, listen, I'm not for everybody. I understand that. And, and, um, and I'm okay with that, but I think, you know, something that you can get down with. And I think something we could all, all get down with is we're born in the greatest country, arguably in the greatest time that you could ever possibly be born. We have more, uh, you know, more access to education, technology resources than we ever have in our entire lives. And, and you know what, some people do get, dealt better cards than others, but you could have been dealt the card to, to, to be born in Haiti, you know, and, or you could have been, you know, born in, in, in uh, the middle of a village in Africa with no resources, no access to technology. And here you Medieval are. times, bubonic plague, whatever, right. You could have been born uh, at any. And we can all, we, we, we love to self-loathe in the negativity, like, but find the positives, man. The positives are this, like life's, life's a beautiful gift. And at the end of the day, you know, I agree. It's not about money. And I think people make the party, but you can only, you can be the best asset to your team by being the best asset to yourself first. 
And the only way to make, to make the party better and the only control, the only variables you can control are you. And, you know, if making money is not your thing or, you know, you don't want to be highly successful or you don't want to own a successful business, that's cool. I don't think that's, I don't think that's an indicator if you lived a great life. An indicator of you lived a great life is maximizing your potential that God gave you, the discipline, the, uh, the opportunity every single day to provide value back to the world is an unbelievable gift. And to go by day to day and not exercise that opportunity is, is foolish of us. Me too, man. Like I do it too. I'm by no means, I don't walk on water and I don't fly with wings. I I struggle with some of the only advice that I, you know, that I give, you know, every day is a beautiful gift and we need to learn and, and do a better job collectively as a country as a unit, as a, as a unit of making sure that we take the opportunity to help each other. Uh, let's leave this world a better place. And we found it. And the only way that you can be a better asset to the team is to be a better asset to yourself. Oh, I love that. What a, I love that great way to tie it all up there, Sal. And, um, I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. I know you're a busy man. I know you got things to do people to see. Can you tell our listeners a little bit where they can find out more about Sal Frazella and first form? Yeah, I'm, a. I'm at Mr. Frisella on Instagram. And uh, the reason being is funny story. I, w- I was telling Maddie earlier, like we've been on social media. I mean, we were one of the original social brands and uh, you know, back then you like gave yourself like a weird name. That was like, you know, the thing to do on Instagram. And uh, now I tried to get my own name. I can't even get my own name, but uh, I'm at Mr. Frisella on Instagram. I'm Sal Frisella on Facebook. I don't use that one very often uh, at first form on uh on the on the business side that's one s-t-p-h-o-r-m and you know i, ch- I challenge you guys uh, listeners if there's anything that we can do to help you if you have a physical journey that you'd like to make a change hop on or over you know download our app you know get involved with our my transformation contest i would love to help you change your life educate you a little bit on nutrition diet exercise um you know our program works really well with crossfit um, from a diet nutrition standpoint, I, I would love the opportunity to help you become a better version of yourself through a little bit of education on food uh, and a little bit of commitment through a, a team community. We, we've done a pretty good job of creating a cool culture around fitness. And so if, if you're struggling and you need help and you, you've, you're looking for a place to go, I'd love to help you. I love that, Sally. You guys have done a fantastic job. Thanks again for being on the show today. Hope to have you back soon because this was one of my favorite conversations. Thank you, Sal. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it, baby.